0: Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to further understanding of the First World War and have 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 11th of May 2020 and this is episode 160. On today's podcast, I talk to historian Nigel Atter about his book on the Great War service of the 2nd Battalion, the Leicestershire Regiment. This is published by Helion. I spoke to Nigel from his home in Leicestershire. Hi Nigel, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? So a little bit about myself, Tom...
1: Um... I consider myself to be an independent scholar of the First World War. Um, I'm a founder member of the Leicestershire, Leicester and Rutland branch of the Western Front Association. I've been a member of that and active member of that, been on the committee, give papers. Um, My interest in the First World War started when I uh, discovered my great grandfather's service records on a genealogy site. And it was one of those hair on the back of your neck moments when... I think it's military history sheet downloaded, and I could see um, my great grandmother's name and my my own grandmother's name and great aunts that that I knew as a as a child. And from that moment, I've never really looked back. I think uh, the First World War has been me been with me almost every day. Um, did a little bit of study at uh, Birmingham University, which led me to publish my first book on the Eighth Lincolns, and then subsequently uh, this. Uh, second volume on the 2nd Battalion Leicestershire Regiment.
0: Which brings me to my second question. Why did you write a book on the 2nd Leicestershire's? I was part of a community history group
1: commemorating the First World War, called Odeby remembers 1914-1918 which is a a small town on the edge of Leicester and there there are a number of chaps that uh, had served in the second Leicesters and I was absolutely fascinated to discover that they'd fought out in what was then called Mesopotamia and really struck a a, a chord with me really um, garnered my interest and it was from that really that um, I thought I'd like to write something on the second Leicesters and also on my doorstep I've got the, the record office for Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland and also um, the Western Front Association with you know very able and capable members, uh, members with um, large archives of uh, photographic material for instance uh, which I've been able to use it in, in my book.
0: Let's start from beginning, can you tell us about the pre-war history of the second Leicestershire units and what it did before the outbreak of war?
1: So they are in India from 1906 so they swapped Uh, around with the the first battalion. Um, So they would serve a a home battalion and then an overseas battalion, the overseas battalion being in India. That's where they did a lot of their training. And these were made up of, you know, mostly full time professional soldiers, you know, career soldiers, and they were a very good battalion. The 2nd Battalion Leicesters were the best regiment at arms, for example, at the 6th Division Assault at Arms in 1908. So the 6th Division of the Indian Army is out there. 2nd Leicesters are part of that. But they're they very capable, being the best regiment at arms. And then the following year, the battalion won the Division Shooting Trophy, uh, being the best shooting regiment in the Southern Army. Um, so together with all of the military training, they're also... Um, have Jim Carners play lots of rugby, football, cricket, any sport that you name it, uh, they probably they, they played it. So what you have is a combination of very competent and
0: capable soldiers and, and, and very fit uh, a, a, as well. And w- were they largely made up of, of men from Leicestershire in the pre-war army?
1: Yes, I mean, a majority of the men were from Leicester, not necessarily exclusively. You'd get people from um, the east midlands branching out to the to the westminster and birmingham and then you'd get you know one of some waste and strays from perhaps some of the bigger cities liverpool and and from london
0: so let's start at the beginning of the war august 1914
1: so second battalion leicester's are at a place called raniket which is in northern india apparently you can see uh some of the, the foothills of the himalayas from there and what it uh, raniket was the battalion headquarters uh so they had you know that the, their their base was there they had a church there They have their military parade ground. There was a cantonment there. And in actual fact, it's still a military base there today.
0: Now, in October, the battalion lands in Marseille for service in France. Can you tell us about what it did uh, on the Western Front during 1914 and 1915? Indeed. So,
1: as you say, the battalion arrives um, in October 1914, together with, one might say, the rest of the Indian Corps. So, you have... um, uh, the Meerut Division and the Lahore Division, and, and they go up to up to the front, and they are sort of a, a fire brigade, really. In my opinion, they are involved in quite nasty uh, trench warfare. It's, you know, getting towards the winter, so they're involved in the Battle of Festubert in 1914, and also uh, the Battle of Gavinci in 1914. And it's at Gavinci actually, where quite famously they um, capture a number of uh, German machine guns, and Maxim machine guns. And in actual fact, if you go to the Royal Leicestershire Regimental Museum, you can see one of these uh, Maxim machine guns on display. They were also involved in the Christmas truce. So they... You now go out into no man's land and uh shake hands and uh exchange addresses and that sort of thing. Um but their first I think really major action um on the western front is at the battle of Neuve Chapelle. Uh so the, the where they uh, attack on the uh, on the 10th of March, consolidate on the 11th and then repel uh, the German counterattack um on the 12th. And during that period of time, private William Buckingham uh, actually wins his VC there. And it's, it's. A, it, I mean, as you know, uh, Tom, it's a considerable uh, success for the British Army. It's the first independent action, but um, the Second Battalion, Leicesters, played a significant part in it.
0: And what sort of casualties did they sustain during those operations in 1915?
1: 1915, heavy casualties. Um, in at the Battle of Luce, for instance, they were part of a diversionary attack uh, at the Moulin de Petri, which is just. Just up from uh, Nerve Chapelle, and in that attack, they lost approximately. 20 officers and a good 400 or so uh, casualties in, in that particular action.
0: Now in late 1915 the curtains draw on their time on the western front and they're sent to Basra where they join the 7th Marut division in what is modern day Iraq. So what are they doing in Mesopotamia during 1916 and 1917?
1: So they're involved in uh, the majority of actions to relieve Townsend's forces at Amara. Uh, So um, Kut was the base in which Townsend was uh, encamped, uh, surrounded by the Turks, and um, it it was Second Leicester's and the um, Tigris Corps, as it became known, it's their job to try and rescue them. So they were involved in all of those actions. Uh, pretty much leading up to the 29th of April when uh, Townsend surrendered. And that was a really difficult war. The weather was absolutely atrocious. It was either freezing cold or boiling hot. The The Turks were very tenacious. Once dug in, they were very difficult to eject from uh, a trench system, which could hardly be seen. I mean, one of the things that... Um, uh was fascinating in Mesopotamian campaign is that, there, you know, there were no roads, there were no railways, there were no maps. And, you know, you, you read officers' testimony that says, actually, we, we really don't have a very good idea of where the Turks are. So what you have is, you know, a sort of grey sky, grey sand. And you only really know that you've come across the Turkish trenches when you fall upon them. Except that from about you know anything from 500 yards, you'll be you'll be fired at, but not really knowing where that fire is coming from.
0: The, the relief force goes to 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 get Townsend out of of the pickle he's in at Kut, and they they obviously fail. He surrenders. What do they do for the rest of their time in sort of late 1916 into 1917? Well, it suffers a lot during the summer months. Uh, with uh,
1: summertime temperatures being up to 50 degrees centigrade. There is a new commander, takes over the Tigris Corps, and uh, this chap, Maud, who had been commander of the 13th Division at Gallipoli, uh, transforms the whole army in Mesopotamia. He is methodical, he cares about his troops, and it's from the end of 19... six the december 1916 that things start to get moving to such an extent that by the 11th of march 1917 uh, they've already um, captured recaptured Kut al-amara and actually gone on to capture baghdad so baghdad um is captured on the 11th of march 1917 and from that point onwards it's a pursuit Really, after the Turkish army, so towards the end of 1917, October, November 1917, they actually are at a place called Tikrit, um, which is in in northern Mesopotamia, not that far from Mosul. And uh, Tikrit is where the late Saddam Hussein actually um, uh, was born, and that that's where they see out their service. So, so 1917, it, it's really a matter of 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 pursuing the Turkish army. What's happened is that uh, a number of men have been taken out of the Turkish army to fight elsewhere. So the forces, the Turkish forces have been weakened. Um, I, I, the, the important thing is that um, arms, men, military intelligence is better. Uh, the planning of operations is better. Uh, and um, so uh, pretty much the um, Turkish army are on the back foot, and um, as I say, 2nd Battalion Lessers end their uh, military operations in Mesopotamia
0: at uh, Tikrit. And now we, we come on to their third and final deployment when they're taken from um, Mesopotamia to the Palestine theatre and they land in Egypt on the 22nd of January 1918. So can you tell us about their actions in Palestine? Uh, they arrive in Palestine and nothing very much is going on. Um, you,
1: you, you have to take it into consideration... In March, uh, nineteen eighteen, of course, the Germans had launched their uh, massive attack on the Western Front. So, some of the British divisions um, that had been um, in in Palestine were, t- were, were transferred to um, the Western Front to replace those. Seventh uh, Meerut Division uh, was sent to firstly to Egypt to undertake uh, a bit of training, and then properly they uh, are in Palestine, which is. Today would be modern day Israel, where they have some minor operations against the the Turks. Um, But whilst that's happening, Allenby, who's commanding the Egyptian expeditionary force, is planning battle of annihilation. I would say, and, and that all kicks off uh, with the Battle of Megiddo in September 19, uh, 1918 of which the uh, second Lesters take part, and then again it's a it's a campaign of pursuit. So the Second Lesters march up the uh, the coast of of what is now modern day Israel and, and, and into Lebanon, so that they actually advance up to Beirut uh, along that coast and finally uh, to Tripoli.
0: And so where are they at the armistice? So at, at the armistice,
1: they are just about 10 miles away from Tripoli itself, a place called Nahid Bedrid. Um, I, I've probably pronounced that very poorly. Uh, but yeah, they're about 10 miles away from,
0: from Tripoli in the Lebanon When you look back at the four years of service of the unit, what sort of casualties did the unit sustain? I know you've actually got a list of all the men in your book, but what sort of numbers are we talking about?
1: I mean, significant numbers. I mean, casualties doesn't necessarily mean dead. So I've I've done um, some research on the Commonwealth War Graves Commission's numbers. And so from 1914 through to 1918, um, we're looking at uh, just over a thousand names, uh, either men buried or, or remembered. But the actual casualty figures for Neuve chapelle for instance, were uh, 343, Festerburn, another 229. At Luce, as I said, it was 20 officers and 430 men. Sheikh Sahad, which was the first action um in mesopotamia is another 300 casualties there but what you have to take into account at that point in time is the battalion was probably only just over 600 strong so you know without reinforcements it would have you know it would have it was just dwindling away um, so many of the operations seem to um, incur something in the in the range of fifty percent casualties each time, and then the, obviously the battalion is built back up again.
0: And how does this constant level of casualties change the unit over the course of the war?
1: Um, obviously, the the older sweats that might have served out in India might have had experience in the uh, Boer War. Um, there, there would be obviously fewer of those. And what one significant thing is that the um the senior officers uh, kept changing because, because because of their high quite high casualty rates i mean during the war they they lost killed in action or missing uh, not to be found uh, one lieutenant colonel two majors six captains 15 lieutenants and 21 second second lieutenants on active service um so the the, the senior officers keep changing quite a lot But there was one constant in all of that in in terms of the officers, and it's a chap called Donnie Weir. He was an Australian um, and um, he serves with um, the 2nd Leicesters from arriving on the Western Front all the way through to the end of the war. Uh, So he, he, on a number of occasions, actually takes over command um, of the brigade, sorry, of, of, of the battalion. Uh, when the commanding officer has been wounded or killed, and what rank does he reach at the end of the war? Towards the end of the war, actually, it's, he reaches the his most senior rank is lieutenant colonel. Um, he's, given, he's given a battalion on the Western Front, but after the after the war, um, he returns to uh, the Leicestershire Regiment and then returns to India. One of the interesting things about uh, Donny, Donald Weir is that his uh, letter archive is actually kept by the record office and um, there are 12 bundles of letters he, he was a regular writer he would write to his mum on, uh, on every occasion uh, that he could and that, that's a, a fantastic archive To it almost destroyed my eyesight reading grey pencil on grey paper but an absolutely fantastic archive to delve into perhaps for the first time actually.
0: And so can you tell us about the story of Ernest Beaumont? It sounds a rather tragic uh, episode which you mention in your book.
1: It is. Um, Ernest Beaumont was uh, a shot at dawn So he had enlisted in 1909 uh, and was out in India when the battalion came over to the Western Front, and he was charged with desertion. And he, his his defence is quite weak, really. Well, his written defence, that is. We, we, we have the court-martial uh, records um, are are available to us. But he, his defence was, and I, I seemed to lose my whip, and it took me three uh, three or four days to come round. Um, part of the problem was that he had already been punished earlier in the year um this is early 1915 uh tom so he'd been punished earlier in the year and he got f- field service punishment number one and we don't the, the records don't tell us what for but it could well be for absence or some other misdemeanor of course but on the he he was found to have been deserted a a sergeant um from the leicesters identified him and tried to arrest him and he sort of slipped through his his grasp and then some weeks later He was found again. But in this time, he was in the company of a French lady, a French woman. So it's possible that he struck up a relationship with her, may well have been living with her. So there was a full cult marshal. So Charles Blackadder, it was the battalion, brigade, corps, army and finally army commander. Uh, Sir John French, all signed his death warrants. So I went through the the entire chain of command after having um, the court-martial, and um, he he was shot on the 24th of June 1915, and it would have been by members of his battalion as well.
0: And finally, Nigel, where can people get your book and learn more about your research?
1: So my book is available um, from Helion, and I'm very grateful uh, to Helion for um, being interested in in this work and in this research. Um, It's been available now just for the last couple of weeks or so um of course all all the booksellers will have it available as well
0: nigel thank you very much for your time excellent thanks very much tom you have been listening to the mentioned in dispatches podcast from the western front association with me tom thorpe thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition